When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 128. Today's episode is all about leadership when we need it the most. I don't think we need to put pressure on ourselves to be inspiring. What we can focus on instead is helping others to feel inspired by who they might become. And I think when we point out the best in others, when we point out the best potential of humanity, when we focus on gratitude and appreciation and highlighting what is going right, then we allow other people to feel inspired, not by us, but by the possibility of humanity and of themselves. So we don't need to put pressure on ourselves to be inspiring, to be the light. We can help shine the light. We don't have to be the light. And I think that's a really critical distinction that can help uh, feel a bit more freeing and a bit more energizing. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. What do you think of when you hear the word leadership? Is it a title reserved for leaders of big companies or world leaders? Or is everyone a leader? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. See, I never really considered myself a leader. Just in the last five to seven years, I've only begun to realize that people have viewed me as a leader since grade school. I couldn't see this because I had a very limited definition of the term. And what I've come to realize is everyone's a leader, or everyone can be a leader, regardless of if you have any aspirations to start a company or a community, or even a cult if you're going real big. Just kidding. Or am I? Well, you don't need to be in a position of authority to be a leader. Back in episode 119 with Libby Crow, which is still one of my favorite episodes, so listen if you haven't yet, we talk a lot about being a leader in your own life. I was just reading an article in Psychology Today by an author named Tim Elmore, who says that there are two types of leaders, habitual leaders and situational leaders. Habitual leaders are the natural ones. They tend to be really good at leading whatever group they're in. They feel natural at taking charge and they almost lead out of habit. Situational leaders are those people who make up a majority of the population. Most of them don't even feel like leaders until they find the right situation that fits their passions or their strengths. Then once they're in that situation, they just come alive and they become the right one to lead in any situation. Well, guess what, my friends? What we are going through right now in the world is probably the biggest catalyst for hatching situational leaders that I have ever experienced in this lifetime. What I'm seeing are situational leaders popping out of the woodworks, like everyone's peeling off their Clark Kent attire to reveal the real superwoman and men at their cores. The way I see it is, if we have a perspective that's helpful in our lives, why not share it? For me, I feel like it's almost my duty. 
I've done all this work on my life. It'd be a shame to keep it to myself. The hard part is not being attached to the outcome. Just because I share something that's worked for me does not mean people will automatically apply it to their lives or that they'll resonate with it at all. And I shouldn't be upset if they don't. All I can do is show up as the best version of me and help other people see the best versions of themselves as well. So today we're going to talk about leadership in all of its forms. I'm not sure how the world will unfold by the time this episode airs. Maybe you're still working remotely. Maybe you're just trying to keep your family peaceful while everyone's at home. Or maybe you're just trying to keep yourself together. Either way, this episode is full of gold nuggets, whether you're leading a team, leading your family, or just being that leader of your own life. Our guest is Zoe Routh. She's one of Australia's leading experts on people stuff. She works with leaders and teams and people struggling to work better together. And I think this topic is so needed because right now we're all being called to lead. So three key things we will learn are how leadership skills can help you create a more meaningful life, how to let go of control of other people and external situations, and biohacks to have more grace under pressure. Before we dive in, do you want to know the best way to develop yourself a little bit more each day? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. And I'm doing something special right now and tailoring these messages to the things that lift our spirits during self-isolation, fear, and uncertainty. And it's helping. Just yesterday, I got a reply saying, thank you so much. These messages are going right to the core of what we need during these troubled times. And someone else who said, thank you so much for the morning mind love. They are everything. And when you sign up, you'll get some amazing free gifts, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to a higher vibration. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live with intention, even when you're stressed. And it's all completely free. So join over 8,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Zoe Routh to the show. Melissa, so good to be here with you. First, let's start with your story. How did you originally become interested in leadership? Well, I, you know what? I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think I kind of evolved into it. When I was thinking back on my various leadership experiences, they started pretty early. I think my first leadership experience was in grade school. I'm Canadian originally, even though I live in Australia now. So I was in grade school in Winnipeg in Canada, and we had the school patrols. I don't even know if they do that anymore. I know in Australia they have adults who run the lollipops and let people across the street. But I was a school patrol, and I became captain of the school patrols. <laughs> and it was my sister who, who schooled me my first leadership lesson around that because, I know, I kind of got a little bit big for my britches as the school patrol, and I liked being in charge of letting people cross the street or not. And then at the end of my shift, I would run across the crosswalk and go get to the other side to go home. And my sister said, you can't do that. You won't let anybody else cross the street running. So why are you running? And it was a bit of a sobering realization that, yeah, as a leader, you don't just get to tell people what to do. You actually need to do what you tell them to do. That was my first experience of leadership. And I became really interested in people and their interactions and how they get stuff done ever since that. So I ended up working at summer camp. That was probably my biggest immersion into leadership after that where I led canoe trips and ended up leading the canoe tripping program and hiring and firing staff, which led me from there into Australia. 
and always in outdoor leadership programs and always in leadership positions as well. So it's been a curiosity and a passion and something that's kept me intrigued for 30 plus years, which makes me sound really old. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was, I just posted on Facebook a couple of weeks back. I'm like, holy crap, guys, I am closer to my 20 year high school reunion than I am my 10-year high school reunion. That's terrifying. I do not feel old. I'm only 34, but it's still, I don't know, the numbers really creep up to you. It's interesting though, because so a lot of people hear the word leadership and they assume, well, I don't run a company. I don't have a big team. So things like this don't apply to me. But I feel like, especially now that we all have such a voice, we all are able to post on social media and have who knows how many hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people follow us, that it really is applicable to everyday life. But I'm curious on your perspective of that. How do leadership skills help those of us who don't have a big company or a team? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. So it depends how you define leadership. And I define leadership as galvanizing others around the future. So that doesn't mean you need a title. It doesn't mean you need a company. It doesn't need you need a team. You need a vision. You need a purpose. And you need something that you want to contribute and make better in the world. So that's how I define leadership. And anyone can take on that responsibility and that mantle and that conversation. So, And I think social media is a perfect platform for that in some ways. I mean, it's got its demerits as well. And it's certainly a place where we can reach out and create a movement and meaning towards creating a better future. And I think this is how we're going to get through this coronavirus. Ah, I can't even say it. <laughs> the coronavirus <laughs> that we're in is by getting people in conversation about what kind of future we want to create on the other side of this. And that's how we can exercise leadership. And finding encouragement in each other is definitely one of the important leadership skills that we can all exercise. Yeah, what I've been sharing with people is now is more of a time than ever to step into your role as a leader. Because I feel like as somebody with maybe a different perspective, maybe a higher perspective, and I don't mean higher as in better or more advanced than somebody's. I just mean a perspective that seeks to find the good in things or to find what we can do rather than just sinking into fear. One that isn't defined just by the external circumstances, but by the internal circumstances that I create to kind of shine that light out. And so I've been sharing for those people who are able to step into that version of themselves, now is a better time than ever to be that leader, even if it's just for the people in your family, for the people who you're friends with on Facebook, because so many people are fear-mongering and there's so many articles to share that is not necessarily helping. And there's not... There's only so much we can do as far as protecting ourselves in consuming more and more information about it. We know what we know. Now, what can we do from here? And so for me, I feel like even just having that ability to see or having a light to shine, it is my responsibility almost to step into a role of leadership for those people that I know. I think you're absolutely right. And one thing I would add to that is not feeling like we need to have the answers also, because leadership will not be defined by the answers that we present. It will be defined by the questions that we ask. And I think there's an opportunity for all of us to exercise leadership, step into leadership by asking courageous questions. And the other pivotal part is the courage part of the courageous questions. It takes courage to ask hard questions. It takes courage to put out questions. 
And it takes courage to lead a conversation. And I think that's the starting point for all of us that we can all take moving forward. And I think you're right to say that we don't want to devolve and default into fear either, because defaulting into fear keeps us small. And when we step into courage, that's the tipping point. It's a tipping point to a proactive movement forward, to progress, to find solutions, to get a little bit of light into the world. And we can all do that. So it's acknowledging when we experience the fear, because I think it's pretty damn human to have sensed and experienced some fear over the last couple of weeks about what's happening around us and what could happen to us. And I think we need to acknowledge it. It's there. And yet we don't need to let that particular emotion or any particular emotion get in the driver's seat of our experience. I like to think of emotions as being along for the ride. They're in the but to put them in the passenger seat and that we keep, as you describe it, our higher selves, ourselves that are courageous, ourselves that are loving in the driver's seat. And that's how we can move forward together. I'm curious, maybe it's just the market that I'm in or the industry that I'm in. I tend to hear the word influence way more than I hear the word leadership now. And they have a lot to do with each other when you really think about it. But the thing is, is we're kind of living in the times of the influencer where anyone can be that, you know, and they they mm. do have a huge following of people, whether or not they're leading a team per se. What do you think leadership and influence have in common? Are they the same thing? What's different about them? Like, Are they separate? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. What do you think leadership and influence have in common? Are they the same thing? What's different about them? Like, are they separate? I think it's the connotations associated with leadership. And I think many people associate authority with leadership. And it's just an association with the word. And I think that's sort of what's confusing people a little bit. And it's interesting, if you ask a group of people, like if I'm presenting to at a conference and I ask how many people feel like they're a leader here, 
not many hands will go up necessarily unless they're the ones with the title and the position. So I think there's this kind of misnomer that leadership equals authority and position where it doesn't. Influence is absolutely a critical component to leadership. And it's the only thing that matters, really. I mean, we can use power in leadership and authority in leadership, and we can do that without ethics. So, you know, somebody who exercises authority without good leadership is somebody who's just a bully. Somebody who exercises influence with good integrity is a leader. So that's a convoluted answer to your simple question. They are, are they synonymous? I think influence needs to be in good leadership and good leadership well, leadership doesn't always have influence. You know, that's usually bad leadership. So why do people make the difference between influencer and leadership? I think it's just historical in terms of what they're conjuring up when they use the word leader. When I hear the word leader, what pops into my associative mind are all the traditional pictures of leadership. And we have to fight really hard against that cognitive bias. So traditional pictures of leader are male, white, and older. And even though I am immersed in the world of leadership, that's still the automatic picture that comes up. And I have to replace it with other images of leaders, images like Mary Robinson, who is the first female president of Ireland, who is the chair of the elders around the globe. And she is a spectacular leader. Or I can conjure up the image of Greta Thunberg, who's a young girl, and she's exercising not only influence, but leadership in different spaces. So there's lots of different images of leadership, and we need to actively promote them so that people can feel courageous enough to step into the word and into the role. Because being an influencer, you can be an influencer without showing leadership either. You can just have a following and spout opinions, and that's influencing, but it's not necessarily leadership. You know, I think we all have parts of ourselves that we're still growing into, or we see our own faults, or we see the things that we're still struggling with. And at the same time, somebody might be thrown into a leadership role or might be growing a following or might be having the influence over whoever in their life they have that influence or leadership over. So I'm wondering, how do you both work on yourself simultaneously, where you see where your own faults are, or this, you see the things that you maybe wouldn't want people to follow in your footsteps while still being a leader for those around you? <laughs> what a beautiful question. So the work of leadership is the work of self-awareness. And in order to grow effectively, we need to bring a couple of things to the table. One is humility. And to realize that we need to stay humble in order to keep learning, because I think learning is the other key component key responsibility as a leader. So staying humble, staying curious also, and curious about what our flaws are and what our responsibilities could be and what is going on for other people is another core aspect of that. And the third part of working through this is having care and compassion for ourselves and for others. And those three things, humility, curiosity, and care will help steer us through the simultaneous effort of self-awareness and growth and showing up and guiding others. It's interesting. I was just writing a big chapter in my new book around this kind of work for leaders and it's shadow work. And I think it's a really important piece of deep work that we all need to do. And in doing the shadow work, it helps us to stay grounded and to be compassionate. And the more that we do our own shadow work, the more that we can allow other people to do their work too. And so shadow work, if 
many of your listeners may be familiar with this work. Essentially, it's noticing when you start to judge others. And basically, that's a projection of the stuff that we're repressing in ourselves. And it's when we say, oh, I don't like that person or that leader because of fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z. It's because there's part of us that we're denying, part of us where we've been arrogant, part of us where we've been judgmental, part of us where we've been dismissive, whatever we're labeling the other person. And when we turn to look at that, where we've been those things and realize that we're not always the idealized version of ourselves in our brain, that we have these parts of us that aren't so great sometimes, then it's like putting light on some mold. <laughs> so it's shining a light into the mold of our inner consciousness and cleaning it up, drying it up a little bit. So that's a little bit of shadow work that we need to do. So I think your question is like, how do we do all this stuff? How do we like grow ourselves as well as grow the people around us. And I think when we do the inner work ourselves, we be just become so much more centered and composed. We actually become the space around which other people can do the same work and they can feel comforted in our presence. So hopefully that was helpful. It was a bit long-winded. No, it was great. I feel the same where I've realized too, there are so many parts of myself that I repressed for a really long time. And I didn't even realize I was doing it because I've always been an oversharer. People would always say things like, oh my gosh, you're sharing that with me right now? And I'm like, oh yeah, I got period blood all over my pants. You know? <laughs> like People are like, what? <laughs> like I just like, I have always had this fascination with shining light on the things that we don't talk about. And so that's a lot of what this podcast is even about. But there were still parts of it that I still had my own secrets that it took me beginning to heal from them to be able to share. And one of that was, when I struggled with bulimia for a decade. And that was my deepest, darkest secret. Like I could share anything else, but I was not willing to share that. Even before I was completely healed, I began to share. And when I did, I found that people suddenly felt okay with opening up to me. And I was helping people that I knew in my own inner circles, along with their own healing before I was even healed. And in doing that, it was like it was helping me heal in a totally other way. Because first of all, I would be able to, they would ask me a question and suddenly I wasn't answering it for myself where I had all these excuses as to why I couldn't. I could just see it clearly and help that person through her issue. And in hearing myself mm -hmm. say it, I could then more easily apply it to my life because I didn't have my own inner demon fighting with me, if that makes any sense. So it allows you even just being vulnerable and sharing what you're working through. It allows you to see your own issue from more perspectives because suddenly you're coming at it from a different light, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And I think the grace of being open hearted is such a powerful one. So what you're talking about being an oversharer is really about being open hearted. And I use that expression deliberately instead of vulnerable. And even though Brene Brown has done some incredible work in advancing the ethos of vulnerability, I think it's still like the word leadership has some connotations that is dragging it back from being fully embraced. And I think open hearted is a better expression, a better concept for us to embrace. And open-hearted means owning all of our stuff and saying, I don't have the answers. I've been through this pain. This is what I've been struggling with is such a gift to ourselves because we put the light on that mold of our, of our inner consciousness and that little dark space that we don't want to show anywhere. And we dry it up and we heal it. 
And you're right. And as you hear other people respond to that and just they breathe a sigh of relief because somebody else has articulated the pain that they too are feeling and wondered if they were wrong to feel that way or shame, or felt shame around that experience. So I think the more that we can express what we're feeling and experiencing and, and healing from, the more we give permission to other people to do the same. And it is a collective upliftment that occurs as a result. It's such a powerful thing. And 10 years is a long time to struggle with something like bulimia. That's a lot. That's a lot of deep pain and shame. It must be such a relief to get that out into the open. What's your experience now with it? It's still something that I have to watch. Most days I feel fully healed, but I've noticed my patterns of I've always been an overindulger. And so in my 20s, part of what birthed this podcast was that I had a lot of different traumas in different areas of my life, both self-destructive and both completely external circumstances. And I had to climb my way out of it. And so what I got used to doing was numbing. And bulimia was one of the ways, one of many of the ways that I numbed. And so because mm -hmm. that was one of the last ones that I held on to, and it's not that I was holding on to it, it's that it turned into me holding on to it and that shifted to it grasping onto me. And so now when I feel very stressed, I will have the old feelings come up, but now I have my toolbox. And so, yes, I can walk around the block. I can do a little mindful meditation. I can start speaking out loud to myself that, no, you are wanting to do this and this has never gotten you anywhere good. Or you are craving overeating. And what this is going to do, you're going to eat that muffin, then you're going to eat another muffin. And then you're going to reach that point where you're too far gone and you're going to want to vomit it up. And then you're going to be in a shame spiral. And then you're going to be crying on your bed. Why are you even considering having that muffin right now? So I'll say those things out loud because hearing it will shift wow. my perspective. And I am suddenly, it's not just this little belief that's slowly running my life where I'm just unconsciously making the behaviors. I'm hearing it and it, it almost sends a shock to my system and I will be more likely to make a different decision. So it's just so interesting how so much of healing or so much of even understanding other people is trying to figure out your own mind games to shift your perspective into something else about the situation or something else about the person. And a lot of times all we're doing, whether we're understanding a situation or a person, is we are creating a story in our head that may or may not have truth. And so just understand what is that story going to result in and can you shift it to something else in order to have a more positive outcome? I think that's wonderful. So the fact that you, you speak it out loud <laughs> makes it, it gives it some form which you can look at and appreciate and go, that's just crazy. And I, I experienced that method as a circuit breaker as well. So just the other day, my husband and I are both in lockdown and, and it's the first time where we've both been working from home for an extended period of time. And he was snapping at me a little. I'm like, and I just turned to him. I said, how are you going right now? What are you experiencing right now? How are you feeling right now? Are you unsettled? Because I feel unsettled. And then just naming it, just cut the tension. It wasn't that I was irritating him. It was everything else that was going on. And so I think when we can name our emotions or name the thoughts that are creating those emotions by giving them a voice, telling the story, it's kind of like, oh, that's really what's going on. It's, it's really helpful. This happened to me the other day, actually. Like I was just getting caught up in anxiety and feeling 
teary and not feeling competent and able. And I reached out to my community of, of fellow thought leaders and professionals and said, I don't know if anybody else is going through this, but I'm feeling really not capable. I'm tired of holding the load for everybody. And I'm imagining all of you sailing through like gracefully with no challenges. Can you please let me know if A, this is your same experience, the up and down nature of, of going through this coronavirus crisis, and B, if it's not, what are you doing <laughs> so that I can experience some of whatever you have and see, I don't know what else. And so I reached out to people and just put voice to that experience. And then I got inundated with calls and messages around like, yeah, me too, me too, me too. And with some also helpful suggestions and just got flooded with love that that was it circuit breaker over. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better. So the suggestion of speaking it out loud, like the conversation, the story you have in your head is such a powerful one because you realize that we catastrophize so much and we create the storm within us and we give it power in our imagination. But as soon as we get it out there written or spoken, it kind of just goes fizzles like an empty balloon. Right. And I got two things out of what you just said. The first being that you in doing that, number one, a lot of people think that because they're a leader, they all of a sudden lose the ability to ask questions or to admit what they don't know or maybe what they're not handling the best. But I will say there have been a few different times that I've had somebody that I consider a mentor or a leader for me that I've asked a question and they're like, you know, I don't know that, but I know the perfect person to ask. And in doing that, it makes me trust them even more. <laughs> and then also mm -hmm. when you ask a question like that to a community and you name the story you've been saying, like, I'm imagining you guys all just dealing with this so gracefully that gives people the perspective that, well, what am I imagining everyone else to be doing? What imaginary comparison am I holding myself to that is not serving me at all? And so it kind of helps people not only connect with you more, but it shows them a new way to handle their own stress. And it allows you guys to, or everyone to kind of connect about that certain issue and come up with almost a mastermind version of answers to it. So they're learning from you, they're learning from everyone else in your community, and it builds a little bit of community with just something so easy or something so simple as this one issue that you're personally dealing with. Yeah, exactly right. I love that. It's like, let's curate our mastermind around the story <laughs> that we're collectively and individually talking about. And what I discovered in is that People are dealing with very difficult situations across the board, and mine is easier compared with some. And the emotional reactions are the same, irrespective of what people are confronting. And we all need each other. So it just helped to normalize it a little bit and go, it's okay to feel like up and downy and sort of get back on an even keel. I love it. Yeah. So that, that reaching out piece is really important too. So I think speaking it to ourselves, getting it out. And sharing it is even more powerful. Just like you said, like when you started sharing your bulimia story, how much further it accelerated your healing because other people were encouraged by that and felt braver as a result of your sharing. So I think the more that we become open hearted, the more we allow other hearts to open and collectively we raise the consciousness of the people around us. And that can only be a good thing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. 
But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself. And it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month. And their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I know right now we're dealing with so much <laughs> just uncertainty. This is a completely new world than most of us have been exposed to at all ever in our lives. And so because of that, there's a lot of pressure. Some people might have a team that they suddenly don't know how to pay. Some people might all of a sudden have a team that they're working with remotely. Some people might have their own business that they were trying to start. There's so many different situations that this one thing is highlighting for us. And so I'm noticing I, for some reason, deal with crisis as an opportunity. <laughs> this just, I've dealt with enough of my own personal crises that, that I shift into that mode of like, okay, well, what's the opportunity here? And it, I'm not necessarily saying be opportunistic with a crisis. I'm saying this is an opportunity to work on the way I handle a completely unknown situation. Like this is an opportunity for me to transform as a human. It's also an opportunity to see holes in a system that may not have been working for us or that has a lot of fault that were never challenged in this way. And so I'm curious, how are you viewing this 
crisis as an opportunity for yourself or your business? <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about this all week, actually. So I think there's a process that we all go through of shock, despair, grief. What we thought we were signed up for disappears. And then I'm thinking about how, okay, I know there is opportunity this. How do I actually shift into thinking about that? Because it's very easy to stay stuck on the problems instead of looking forward to what's next. And the circuit breaker I use first, and then I'll share where I'm going with opportunity in this. So the circuit breaker I use a little bit is inspired from Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL commander badass. <laughs> he's a scary dude. And he's got like some extreme views and he's been extremely successful in the Navy SEALs. And his response to any news, and he shares this like on the military field as well as at home now, because he works, he's an independent professional now. Any response, he always responds this one single way. Good. So people might come to him and say, sir, the patrol got blown up on the perimeter. And his answer is good. <laughs> it's kind of like it's a, a circuit breaker. And because it's shocking, how could you respond to that as good? He's like, good. Now we know where the enemy is. We can go and get it done. We know where our guys are. We can go and get them back. So it doesn't mean good. I'm glad people got blown up. It means there's an opportunity. This has shown us something new. And it's quite jarring because if you think about all the bad news we've ever got and the last thing you really want to respond to is good. Like when I got given a cancer diagnosis, 2005, to answer good, <laughs> seemed ridiculous. Like there is nothing good about that. And then yet when you sit with it, because it's there as a circuit breaker, breaker not to deny that there's some negative consequences of what's going on. It's to accept that there's a different future ahead. So that's what I've been doing this week. It's like, right, this is where I'm up to in my business. This is, we've had the calendar eradicated. We're going to have no income for probably at least 12 weeks. Good. <laughs> it's like, okay, sit with that. Good. I'm sitting with that. Good. And then the next sort of questions that emerge were, right, so this gives me a chance to do all the projects I've been putting off. It gives me a chance to reinvent my programs in a way that's meaningful and powerful that I hadn't visualized before. It gives me a chance to decide really how I want to live my day, day to day, because I had plenty of excuses about why I wasn't living into the perfect schedule of my day, you know, too busy to whatever. I'm like, wow, I can actually do this now. I have permission. This is what I've been asking for all along. I can do deeper thinking. I can catch up on my reading. Uh, I can think about the future and how I can, as you were discussing, and it's something that I'm really energized about. It's like, what are the holes in our systems? What kind of new systems can we create in our education, in our healthcare system, in our economy, in our government and business relationships? in employment that we can have the opportunity now as a collective across the globe to invent something completely new, which is global, interconnected, purpose-driven, and ethically crafted. And that's incredibly energizing for me. I think, I don't know how to do that. No one does yet. And yet if we're asking those questions, something will arise from that. Collectively, we can create something quite amazing. And so that's sort of where I'm sitting in the space of opportunity at the moment, both from an individual personal level, as well as a more global social position. A good friend of mine shared with me this kind of journaling ritual, or it could even be a thought exercise, where considering something that you're struggling with or something especially outside of your control that feels like the end of the world and asking yourself, 
how can this be or why is this the absolute best thing that can happen for me, for everyone involved and for the planet? And when I started that, you know, sometimes some things sound terrible. Like you want to fight against even that thought process when you're going through something hard. Mm. But if you can get yourself to even fake it for a minute and to just play with the ideas, again, so much of my healing has been allowing myself or cultivating a flexible mindset, learning to shift to different perspectives as often as I can, because it gives me more options, more opportunities on how to react to something and feel inside what feels the best about this? What feels good about this perspective? What feels good about this perspective? And I think so much of growth or leading or even just getting through life is figuring out how to feel good no matter what is thrown at you, because that's going to get you out of fight or flight and get you into a more expansive way of thinking. And it's interesting because whether or not you're going through crisis, a big part of being innovative is creating disruption, whether it's disrupting a current market or even disrupting your own patterns of belief so that you can cultivate a mindset that is able to look at things outside of just fear and doubt and everything's happening to me because that doesn't give you any power over your own life. Yeah, I love it. So a couple of things that you mentioned there, which I think are worth highlighting is that this practice of being able to shift and shift perspective starts with becoming emotionally aware. And it is a deep emotional intelligence work to be able to do that. And it's one of the things that I work with leaders is to pay attention is that, and they often talk about wanting to have more emotional control. And I was talking to a leader just day before yesterday around that. I was like, emotional control is not necessarily what you're going for because emotions will arise. They'll get triggered from a whole bunch of stuff. Largely, they're subconscious. So what we want to aim for instead is deep awareness and deep attention. So when we are aware of the emotions that are bubbling up in us, whether they're flight or flight, is to just to notice them. And by noticing and giving speech to them, like speaking them, we can diffuse them. So that awareness piece is really important. And where we put our attention next is the most important thing. And those things are activities and practices that we need to harness, whether it's through journaling or whether it's through body awareness. And it's in doing that deep awareness and attention exercise, we can then start to hone the future forward focus. Because often what I find is that people default to just obsessing over the problem instead of the possibility. So if we're going to switch from problem to possibility, we need to do awareness, attention, and then anticipate. Anticipate what could be amazing about this. And it's a wonderful exercise, actually, that you've you've spoken to, which is like, what could be the most amazing opportunity? What if this was the best thing that could happen for us? Because if we do this sort of revisionist history of our own lives, we can look at the the worst incidents that have happened to us. And you've had some pretty horrendous things happen to you, Melissa. And I've had some pretty challenging things too. And we can look at that and go, wow, you know what? That was a turning point for me. That was a gift in disguise, which I can only acknowledge now. Going through it was horrible. And then it allowed me to do this and this and this. And I became this person as a result of that. And so even though we wouldn't wish that experience on ourselves or our worst enemy or on anyone, it was still something that had happened and we can make good with it. We can make good with it. And I think that's where we're all sort of positioned now is that we can make good with this. And there's a lot not to demean or diminish or disregard any of the difficulties that people are going through. And there are a lot of difficulties that people are facing. It's that we can earn the right to make something good of it by paying attention to it and then shifting, shifting to the anticipation of what could be good. I really resonated with that 
thing you said about the emotional control, because that's how I lived my life for a really long time. I thought I was doing okay because I wasn't allowing it to affect me. And I'm using air quotes right now. When what I didn't know is that I was repressing all of my emotions. And so just because I wasn't crying all over everybody around me, doesn't mean I wasn't crying alone in my room way too often, but I looked like I had things together on the outside. But deep inside, not only was I crumbling, but then I started to self-sabotage in ways that seemed beyond my control. And so the where to put your focus thing that you mentioned is what I consider emotional channeling. So instead of emotional Mm -hmm. control, it's like, how are you going to channel these emotions because it's Mm -hmm. good to feel them. And sometimes that might be crying alone in your room. Other times it might be journaling or something that can help you express what you're feeling so that it doesn't start to rule you from the inside out. It starts to move through you so that it becomes something else. Because that's what I think of emotional repression is that, you know, it's just blocking up your system. It's blocking up what could become of this. Whereas if you let it out, it kind of channels it. It just allows it to express itself through you. But a big part of that too, I've found is, first of all, you're kind of letting the emotions run through you, but it also has to do with figuring out a way to let go of control of your external circumstances, whether it's what other people are doing or whether it's what's happening to you. I'm wondering, do you have any tips for figuring out how to let go of control, whether in your life or with people? Yeah, yeah. So the image I use for this is the image of a pendulum. So if you imagine you're holding a pendulum, and then it swings at the bottom. And what you're describing as emotional channeling is is similar to holding the pendulum, which is strong and stable and letting letting the bottom of it just swing wherever the problem with trying to do emotional control stuff is that we end up on the bobble at the end of the pendulum being swung from to and fro and to and fro because we're hanging on or resisting the energy of the emotion instead of staying centered at the top and observing. So the first technique is to pay attention to where your awareness is. And it kind of needs to be in two places. One is awareness that, that we can stay centered at the top of the pendulum. And the other part of the awareness is to notice where the emotion is in your body and just to let it swing, let it channel, let it release. That's the first piece. So letting go of needing to control people and and circumstances is a really interesting one. Yeah, it, it, there's a simple drawing exercise with that is two circles. What can you control within your circle? And then the broader stuff, everything over which you have no control. And in between, there's stuff that you can influence. And I think I like to list all the things I can control in that little circle. And they're pretty small. You know, I can control my thoughts. I control my attitude. I control my focus. That's what over, over which I have particular choices. Can I control coronavirus? No. <laughs> Can I control the heads of state doing decisions or making decisions I disagree with? No. Can I control the weather? No. So I just list everything outside of that into things I'm particularly paying attention to or not paying attention to. And I think Stephen Covey wrote about this, actually, circle of control, circle of concern, and circle of influence. So when we focus on the things over which we do control, that sense of control actually expands. So we feel more powerful, ironically. So even though the list of things over which we have control is so small, when we focus on them, we actually feel way more powerful. So that's sort of how I come back to it. It's like, right, let's identify the stuff over which I can't, the over the stuff over which I can control. And then it feels much better. 
So yeah, I can choose to make a schedule for the day. I can choose to exercise. I can choose to eat well. I can choose to take a break. Like there's a lot of things over which I can choose and and decide on moment to moment. And that feels really amazing because no one can make me feel bad without my permission. And who was that? I can't remember who said that, but it's an awfully good quote. It reminds me of, so I grew up like going to Narcotics Anonymous and, and Alcoholics Anonymous with my dad. I was always the kid playing with blocks in the corner while everyone told wow. horrific testimonies when I was like three years old. But I'm just glad wow. he was sober. So whatever. But the serenity prayer comes to mind when I am having control issues. It's like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, mm. courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so it's really mm. just really taking a deep, hard look of, what can I control about this? And so often it's your reaction. But right now also, so many people are dealing with a pressure they haven't quite ever had to deal with before, whether they have employees underneath them, whether their family's relying on them, whether it's just their own internal pressure of surviving this. So I'm curious, how do you deal with grace under fire? Hmm. A lot of it, we've talked about some of it, you know, which is the attention and awareness and anticipate piece. A large part of it, I start with biohacks. So biohacking is paying attention to your own body because our body is a great gift. It's the vehicle through which we experience life. So my main tip around grace under fire, first of all, is nose, toes, and pose. And nose means breathing. Breathing is our main stress relief mechanism. And I think it's incredibly soothing to take some deep breaths. So that's the first thing, nose, deep breaths. Toes is digging your toes into the ground. So no matter where you are and what's happening around you, when you dig your toes into the ground, this focuses your awareness and tension into the present moment, into your body and out of your head, which is usually full of ridiculous stories. So nose into your body, toes into the present and pose is taking a leaf out of beautiful Amy Cuddy and what she taught the world around power poses, which is doing power poses. So pretending you're Superman or Wonder Woman and putting your hands on your hips or doing a victory pose, standing up straight and strong. And doing that for a couple of minutes changes our biology, especially if you're doing deep breathing and you're digging your toes into the ground. It just brings us centered and powerful into the particular moment. So that's my first piece for Grace Under Fire is that. And the second piece is what you've already alluded to, which is journaling. So getting the stuff out of your head onto paper diminishes its influence over us and makes our challenges and our problems seem more manageable, especially if we get them down onto one page. So these are all the things that I'm worrying about. And it's amazing how useful it is when you look back over your journal a couple of weeks later and go, wow, I can't believe I was worrying about that. It seems so inconsequential now. So I think those are some useful things. And the third one is to reach out to others. So as I described earlier, I just reached out to my community when I was like, I don't want to do this alone. Like, what else are people going through? How, how are they feeling? And sharing. And that probably is is one of the most important pieces is, especially as leaders, we can feel like it's all on us. The buck stops with us. We're the boss. We're the CEO. We're the leader of our family. And we're supposed to be strong for everyone else. And when that gets too much, we need somebody else to lean on, a peer, a friend, a colleague. And I think that 
is probably the most underrated aspect of it. And there's a lot of our ego that holds us back from reaching out. And I think we just need to ditch that. And as we've we've talked about, Melissa, and you've shared too, is that when we share our vulnerabilities, our open-heartedness, it actually strengthens everyone. So those are my three recommendations, nose, toes, and pose, journaling, and community. I love the community part of it, especially right now, because it's so interesting. Right when the quarantine was announced, I was more virtually connected. I was actually more connected to other humans than I had been in a really long time because I have my routines and whatever. And suddenly my entire routine is disrupted. And it's easier to connect with somebody with a click of a button than having to make a plan to go to a coffee shop and put on real pants. So I... (laughs) It's just interesting, though, because... Are you living in yoga pants now? (laughs) I've lived in yoga pants since like 2011. But yes, yes, I I do live in yoga pants. And I go out in yoga pants. There's just the difference between my inside yoga pants and my outside yoga pants. Well, it's interesting to see how many people are suddenly... They might not even have had a business. They might have never had... Again, I'm doing air quotes around influence, but they've risen up into this version of themselves that's creating community. And it's needed now more than ever, whether or not we're going through a crisis. So do you have any tips for creating a community or even cultivating a better community, whether you have a business or not? Yeah, I think leverage the tools that we've got. So I just start, I'm starting one next week. It's called Monday Mojo with Zozo. And I've offered that to the people in my leadership community. I'm like, just check in with me on Monday. Like there's not a huge agenda. I'm not teaching anything. It's opportunity just to have some stress relief and some light relief and to share good news stories, jokes, good movies to watch and so on. So that's a really simple one. And we're using Zoom to do that. But you could use Facebook Messenger, you could use Skype, there's like a lot of tools through which we can use to actually cultivate that. And people are hanging out need would just love and value so much for someone to take the lead on these things and say, Hey, I'm getting together for, you know, uh, Friday quarantinis. I love that that came out of New York, somebody (laughs) telling me about that, that the quarantini crew. So they're having like, martinis delivered from their local bar. I think that's still possible where they are. And they're jumping on a platform of some sort and just having virtual martinis together, which is wonderful. And your coffee meetings, like people are desperate for people to lead us as Seth Godin says. And I think taking a leaf out of his book, out of his book, Tribes is really useful there. So he says, people need a leader to organize somewhere to communicate and a cause to rally around. And if the cause is simply like some slight relief, great, let's do that. So I think that's one way to start something and to get things going. Like if you're not already in a community, just reach out to a couple of people. The other community that my friend Narada is doing, this is another example of how to do it. So we we're all Outlander fans. And when the new season of Outlander comes out, we gather at her house. She puts on dinner and we watch the show together and we have these little rituals. So anytime Claire, say, for instance, swears, we take a drink or every time there's like a nipple exposed, which is a lot in that show, (laughs) you take a drink. (laughs) So we can't do that together now in person. So we organized it over Zoom. So we had one person screening the show and all of us connected around Zoom and we could still do the same ritual. So it doesn't have to be like a high purpose thing. Let's recraft society, though. I'm really interested in that one. If someone's starting that one, it can also be as silly as mojo coffee, quarantinis and watching a movie together. 
So those are some suggestions for just to step up because people will latch onto it. They just would just soak up the opportunity to connect. One thing that you said in one of your recent podcast episodes that really stuck with me was that we are only as healthy as our weakest member. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? That actually came from one of my clients, Kim. And we were talking about what we had to postpone some work we were going to do together. And she's saying, yeah, this is amazing. It's really becoming aware of how interconnected we are. And so our weakest member is actually one of our biggest risks. So if we take from a risk point of view, when we have this is pretty obvious in coronavirus, right? So if one person with coronavirus is a risk to all of us and the weakest members in our community are those who have the least amount of resources. So people who are homeless, people who aren't fed well or don't have good resources. So they're more likely to get sick more easily because they they can't look after themselves. They don't have a safe shelter. They don't have good cleaning facilities. So they're more likely to be viral infection bombs And so from a very clinical point of view, we need to look after those people if we're going to reduce the risk to the entire group. Now, that's a very kind of pragmatic way of looking at it. And yet, I think if it's an opportunity for us and a compelling reason for us to look after all of our weakest people in the group, then, oh my God, like what a gift, because it's been so easy to disregard the weakest people in our communities, to let them be somebody else's problem, to blame them for their circumstance and to let them, you know, survive on their own and walk past them without the dignity of even casting them a human smile. So we can't actually do that anymore from a pragmatic survival point of view, which is glorifying because now it actually compels us to show some more humanity Many of us did it anyway, but now there's compelling reason that's for our own survival. So the analogy I gave in talking about that, and it sort of made the mirror image to my experience at Outward Bound, is that when, as a group, when we're traveling through the wilderness, we always walk at the pace of the slowest walker. Because when you're going in the outdoors, everyone moves together. You don't string out. You don't sort of like set a destination. We'll see you at the end because it's unsafe. We all need each other in case somebody runs into trouble or that because we've distributed food amongst ourselves. So we move together as a group. And the best way to move together a group is at the pace of our slowest walker. And when you do that, when you put the slowest person at the front of the group to lead the pace, they actually perk up because they feel connected. They feel supported. They don't feel like they're lagging behind. And I think we can take that analogy and apply it to our communities is that we're only as healthy as our weakest member is that if we encourage them, support them, get them healthy, they are likely to perk up and be contributing members as well. So I think it's a pretty powerful observation to realize that as a truth. And it's very sad that it took a virus like coronavirus to bring it home for us. However, like that, that's the opportunity in it. Right. I think that this is really just highlighting that as easy as it is to go into the mindset of every man for himself, it's really highlighting how connected everything really is. Whether you have that spiritual belief or not, like things just affect more than you realize that they do. So to have a greater perspective is really helpful. And the last question I just want to ask before we wrap up is around understanding how to lead by inspiring versus lecturing or or kind of enlightening and helping people and encouraging instead of instructing them or like I said, lecturing. Mm-hmm. What are your mm-hmm. tips on being able to step into that version or that energy rather than 
the scolding energy, which I feel like people often get into when they feel like they have more information than somebody else. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> scolding. Well, I think the scolding perspective, which I have more information, I am right, is coming back to the principles of humility, curiosity, and care. So none of us have all the answers. And if we think we have all the answers, we're surely wrong. So that's the first thing there. So that keeps us from, I'm smarter than you. You don't know what you're talking about and keeps us away from black and white thinking, right and wrong thinking. How do we move into an inspiring space? I don't think we need to put pressure on ourselves to be inspiring. What we can focus on instead is helping others to feel inspired by who they might become. And I think when we point out the best in others, when we point out the best potential of humanity, when we point about, when we focus on gratitude and appreciation and highlighting what is going right, then we allow other people to feel inspired, not by us, but by the possibility of humanity and of themselves. And I think that is a huge gift. And so we don't need to put pressure on ourselves to be inspiring, to be the light. We can help shine the light. We don't have to be the light. And I think that's a really critical distinction that can help uh, feel a bit more freeing and a bit more energizing. Well, thank you so much for everything that you brought to this conversation. When we first booked this interview, we both, I'm sure, thought it was going to go in a completely different direction. But in light of what's happening, everything's funneled through that lens right now. And I'm actually really grateful for it because regardless of if this is listened to long after this is over, all of these things highlight something about leadership to a whole different degree than we might have seen it before. It seemed like something that could be an option, whereas now it seems like a necessity. So thank you for everything that you've taught us today. And for listeners who are really resonating, where's the best place that they can connect with you online? So people can head to my website, zoeralth.com, Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.com, or find me on LinkedIn. I'm often hanging out there. And it's been wonderful to spend time with you, Melissa. You have a wonderful energy and you are a leading light. You are a shining light in the world and helping to uplift others. And I am grateful for that. For all the links in this episode, go to mindlove.com slash 128. I challenge you this week to ask yourself, where in your life are you being called to lead? Or where is there an opportunity to lead? And what does that look like for you? Being a leader can mean creating a community, it can mean helping develop people, it can mean being a mother, or just being the light that you wish to see in the world. A lot of times, we don't see the leaders that we really are, and it's just because we're doubting ourselves or we're limiting our fullest expression. You are a leader to someone, whether you know it now or you find it out 20 years from now like I did. So challenge your own beliefs about yourself and see what happens. If anything, you'll just awaken parts of yourself that might have been yearning to be expressed. If this episode was helpful to you, please share it on social media. Take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Melissa and or Mind Love Podcast or share it with somebody who you think it could help as well. If you haven't yet rated the show, please leave a five-star review. It really helps grow the show and it helps me get even more great guests. And subscribe because you obviously don't want to miss the next episode of Mind Love. So I'm sending you all so much love. Hope you're staying safe and healthy and sane. And thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.